Welcome to Zion. Today, I'm super excited. I'm really pumped. Today, uh, I've got something for you that is uh, uh, very exciting uh, from, from my perspective. Uh, I'm going to give you some secrets. I'm going to answer some promises that I made last week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the juice. So you should be excited. You should look excited and be expectant like um, you came to church hungry for something of God this morning. Because we're going to preach the Word of God this morning. I'm going to show you secrets of the kingdom and His Word that you may not have seen before, you may not have lived before, but life is going to be different for you as you apply these gifts. Amen? But you've got to be open to receive it. We're at the end, the tail end. Today is the last message in our series that we've been doing. This is the seventh week, uh, mimicking the Macedonians, helping people live a life of generosity. And uh, I had to fit it all in today, so we're going to go right through to about three o'clock this afternoon. Oh no, combined service at two. We'll just get the biscuits out. No, I'm joking. But I have got a lot for you. I'm really excited. We've been looking at the Macedonians in the New Testament because Paul holds them up as an example for us as the church to look to, to learn from in order that we would live a life of generosity that Paul has in fact called us to live. There are some really, really, really good messages in this series, and I encourage you to go back to listen to them again. What I do, if I listen to a series or a message that spurs me or challenges me, or it's something that God points to, then I listen to it more than once. I just make sure I've got it available on my phone, and I listen to it maybe when I'm driving or when I'm flying somewhere or where I'm sitting on my couch at home. Repetition is what helps us with transformation. So don't sit here and think, oh, tick, I got that sorted. I listened to it once. That's not going to work. Repetition is what builds transformation. It's a discipline that I've learned. And uh, we make these available to you. They're online in video. They're also along in the audio. You should grab our um, church app on any number of devices and you can access, access them there. So we're in for the final message. Are you ready? Okay. Last week I spoke a message called Liberality. And this word comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. Paul writes, In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So it's actually a word in the Bible. We didn't make it up. It's a word in the Bible. And we see that I describe liberality as the generosity that flows out of joy. Last week, I promised you that I would show you how the Macedonians got to live like this. Because I gave you the what, but I didn't give you the how. Because the very next verse, Paul says, actually, the Macedonians gave more than they could afford to give. And if Paul's holding them up as an example for us, then that means we should be giving more than we could afford to give. But as soon as I say that, everyone shrinks back in their seats and looks at the floor and hopes that I don't notice them. But today I want you to learn this. I want you to see it in Scripture because God doesn't set you up to fail. God doesn't set you up to have, um, you know, an impossible mission. He sets you up with a mission that's impossible in your strength. But then He says, watch me, I'm going to help you to do this. And that's what we're going to see in the Scriptures. And that's what the Macedonians show us. And Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is deep and rich in content. And I'm going to give it all to you in 45 minutes. I'm going to talk really, really fast. So, yep, this is, like, this is a roller coaster, but it's more like a speed train. So this is, um, I'm just going to call this part two of the message. This is the how. How do we live in the wealth of liberality that Paul says is possible for us as believers? How do we do that today? I'm going to show you. But first, 
I need to show you the why. We've been focusing a lot uh, in the series on pointing you to the things that we do outside of what you experience on a Sunday. We've talked, um, Kathy just spoke about Shine, which is part of our local missions program in Te Awamudu, and we're looking to uh, walk that out faithfully and obedient to grow as the Lord enables us, not to walk ahead of Him, but to walk with Him. And there's already schools begging us to be in their school in term three in two weeks, and we've got to resource that. Schools opening up their doors for us and um, the team, the Shine team, to go in there and speak truth and strength and dignity into the lives of young people. We pointed to India, we pointed to Indonesia. Today I want to show you this concept drawing, which some of you have seen before. And we've decided as a church that God's calling us or propelling us into strengthening our partnership with the church network that we work with in Indonesia. If you want to look on the map or Google Maps, you just go and find North Sumatra. It's a big island on the top left of Indonesia. That's where we do a lot of our work. And there's a Bible school there, but it's very small. The problem is the pastors are out in the field, in the mission field, in the jungles and in the villages and on other islands, and they're begging for more pastors. They're saying, please, would you help us? Please, would you send a, a pastor to disciple the people that have found Jesus that have no leadership? And at the moment, the Bible school there's got seven students that are three years away from graduating. That's not going to work. So God's given us, I believe, as a church, a mission to continue to build and strengthen the church in Indonesia. And this is how we can do that. This is a, church, this is a Bible school building. This building concept has four classrooms. So we can have different classes operating at the same time. Has dormitories to host up to, uh, I think, 32 or 40 students at the same time with bathrooms and toilets and a cooking room down the bottom where they can live because they live there for three and a half years. It's also got an apart two apartments up the top there, left and right on the top you can see so that visiting tutors that come from different parts of Indonesia have somewhere to stay as they invest and teach and disciple and equip the Bible school students. Imagine how exciting it would be for us to take interns into Indonesia for a month and work with the local Bible school alongside, shoulder to shoulder, ministering and growing in the things of the Spirit. We've now got somewhere that we can base them. Last year, the generosity of this church meant that we could send some money to buy the land for that building. And that land has been bought and it has been cleared and it's ready for some work. The generosity of this church has enabled that. We've got to then work out what we do next. This is uh, the team working hard, as you can see, under a tree, having a meeting. We were there um, earlier this year looking at it and discussing what's the next stage. There's Phil offering his wisdom. Uh, this is another meeting we had, but before I show this photo in here, is you can see what's in the background. Can you see what's in the background of that photo? What is it? Lake Toba. Well, this is a better view of Lake Toba. This is where I have my breakfast. It's going to be really hard for me to come home if that's the view I've got while I'm working with the church over there. No, no, this is, this is a really, I don't have a view like that at home, I'm sorry. But it's not about the view. Oh, there, Kathy, yeah, I'll come home, that's right. But this is, 
this is this is the location, and and but this is the this is the what. This is what we're pointing to, because this is really what's going to enable it. We've got the land. The next step is for us to work out how to level the land to build the building. The building's going to cost about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars to build, but it's three stories. It's got four classrooms, four dormitories, two apartments, and eight bathrooms. But $120,000 sounds like a lot until I talk to people that have been here longer than me. Phil Fro said to me, well, we've done that before. We sent 100 grand to India once. I was like, oh, really? Oh, well, what God's done once, maybe God could do again. Maybe it's not about us. But the next step for us is we've got to level that land. We've got to build a really big block wall and retain it fill it with rocks. They reclaim land all the time there. It's $14,000 is the quote to get that land leveled. So that's our next challenge. We've got to work out how to do that. Why am I showing you this? Because we've got to point to something. If we're going to, we're going to lay ourselves down and we're going to say, God, would you use us? Then it's really nice for you to know what you're being used for. It's not necessary, but it's nice. And so God's calling us as a church to mimic the Macedonians. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth, I can testify, he says, that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than they could afford. And they did it of their own free will. These are the Macedonians that God's asking us to mimic. This is what God's calling us into. And you're probably sitting there going, oh no, stink, that means me. Yes, exciting, that does mean you. But today God's going to show you the how to do that because it's not going to be done by your strength. It's not going to be done by your ability. It's going to be done by you sacrificing yourself and allowing Him to use you and the Scriptures have got the key and that's what I want to show you today. Kathy and I have walked this journey. This is not something I'm just pointing at and saying, well, you guys should learn this and walk it out. We've done this. There was a season in our life where God called us to a place where we knew with no doubt and with an agreement and unity that God was calling us to give far more than we had in our bank account. And we're like, well, how do we do that? God says, trust me. So I said, okay. We prayed about it. We agreed. We knew that we had to do it. So we agreed to do it. And what we did is we went on a journey. We're following biblical principles, some of which I'm going to show you today. And we saw God graciously extravagantly provide the giving that we had agreed to give. We didn't give it out of our own strength. We didn't get our own resources. We gave what He enabled us to far beyond. And since then, since learning these principles, we've been able to give really good, sizable gifts. I'm not going to talk numbers because numbers really won't mean much to you. It's relative to us. Big gifts that freak us out and go, well, God, it's up to you now. I said, yes, now you do your part. This is what I'm going to show you today. Are you interested? Would you like God to use you far beyond your current ability and strength? Yes. Would you like the Holy Scriptures to show you how to do that so it's not dependent on you but dependent on God's strength? Okay, all right. Well, let's do that because I'm, I'm interested in sharing it if you're interested in listening. So this is liberality part two, where the church will live in financial freedom to live in what Paul calls the wealth of liberality. It's a phrase in the Scriptures that I've picked up on. The wealth of liberality. And today we're going to see the how. So to do this, I need to build a foundation. And what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through Bible teaching 
on 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So this is Bible teaching 101. And this is my foundation for me to show you what I'm going to show you. I've got to build the foundation. And to do this, we're going to walk through some verses and we're going to see what God says because it's all here for us to take home. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 reads, I don't really need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. Paul says, well, I don't need to tell you this because you already know it. But what I want you to see is that it says the ministry of giving is the grace of giving in other translations. Giving is a ministry that God gives you grace for. Generosity is a spiritual gift. Earlier um, in uh, in the letter, Paul says, look, I pray that you excel in everything. In speech, he says, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, See that you also excel in this grace of giving, Paul says to the church. So giving is a grace. Same way as faith is a grace. We just prayed for that. God, give us the faith we need to do what you've asked us to do. It's a grace that enables it. My gift here in speaking to you is only enabled by his grace. If you have the gift of leadership and administration, it's something that God gives you grace for. If you're a worship leader or you're a songwriter, God gives you the grace for it. So God has given us the option to have this grace for a ministry of giving that is only about Him enabling us. So if you don't think you've got it, what should you do? Ask for it. If you're sitting there going, I don't even know how to do this, just ask God to give you the grace to excel in this area, that what you would do is not done in your strength, but in His strength, because His strength is what comes when we ask for His grace. So that's the first verse. The second verse, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2. I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece and Corinth were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. This is the irony of Paul. Paul, you've got to know who Paul is. Paul is trained as a lawyer. He's trained to argue Scripture, but he's got a cheeky side to him. And often the Scriptures are full of tongue-in-cheek, almost sarcastic comments that Paul makes as if to say, well, come on, you should have known this. And here I find it really funny that he says, you should be like the Macedonians. And then he says, actually, the Macedonians are just trying to be like you. Did you see that? It was your enthusiasm that stirred up the Macedonians to begin giving. It was the people in Corinth. It was the the people he's writing to that had faith and had energy and had commitment and they're probably boasting about it. And the Macedonians hear about it. They go, man, we do the same. They'd be like me me getting um, saved and baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and then saying to you guys, I'm going to go to Bible school because I want to learn about God's Word and learn to be a minister. But they're not getting around to it. But one of you hears it and you go and sign up and you go off to Bible college because of my excitement. That's exactly what's happened here. So what's Paul saying to us in this verse? Make good on what you already know is true. 
He's reminding the church in Corinth, you guys know this so much so that your enthusiasm got the Macedonians excited, but they carried through with it. Now what are you going to do? Okay. You all right? I told you I was going to go fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. I'm sending these brothers to you to be sure you're really ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I wouldn't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. Paul's pretty clear here. What you said is what we expect. Your voiced commitment, your confession, the work that you said you were going to do, you better be ready to do it. Be prepared. Now, you're hearing me talk like that, you might be getting a little upset, but let's just understand this. What God says to us is that preparation that's necessary happens in our heart first. Your heart has to be ready. You know the old saying, if you're going to cut down a tree and you've got seven hours to do it, spend six hours doing what? Sharpening the axe. That's exactly right. What's the most important thing in your obedience? Not the action at the end, but the six hours you take to prepare your heart. Paul's saying, be ready, because when the obedience is necessary, the heart better be ready. So that's what we're about here. That's what we're, we're talking about now. Now, who is it that prepares the heart? Is it the pastor? Who is it that prepares your heart? Is it your spouse? No. We've got to allow God in to prepare our heart, to shape us, to speak to us, to encourage us, to, rem- <clears throat> to remind us that we're, he's a good father. <laughs> Excuse me about that. He's a good father, that we're his son or his daughter, we're children that can come and then sit on his knee to be embraced by him, to be encouraged by him. He's the one that gets us ready. He's the one that strengthens us. When we allow him in, he will prepare our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what I always say is what you value you move towards. If you value a new boat, you'll move towards a new boat. If you value your career, you'll move your energy towards your career. Whatever you value is what you move towards. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is, what you focus on, what's important to you. Because our hand follows our heart. So what's most important? Heart preparation. Let's be, let's be intentional about allowing God to shape our heart. Then we get to verse 6. Paul says, remember this. A farmer who only plants a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. He says it quite differently in his letter to the church in Galatia. He says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, what you sow, you'll reap. With the measure you sow is the measure you reap. This is where we're starting to see some keys here. What is God saying to us in the Scriptures? This is where we begin to see the kingdom of God principle that is necessary for us. What I want you to look in the verse, everyone look on the screen. What is it? that we sow? It's not a trick question. Look at the verse. What you sow, you reap. That's awesome. But what am I sowing? Everyone look at the verse. What am I sowing? Seeds. Okay. 
Remember that. That's a key. We're going to get to this in a minute. Whatever we sow, we reap. What are we sowing? Seeds. Okay. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Paul continues, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So don't be afraid the pastor's going to beat you up. Because if I'm preaching the Scripture, then I can't do that. It's pointless. Because the Scripture says don't respond to pressure. Don't respond to manipulation. Don't respond to condemnation or judgment. Be cheerful. Be open. And given your heart, what does it say? What you have decided to give. God loves a cheerful giver. How do we be cheerful? We decide in our heart how much to give. So look at the screen. Your decision must come before your action. That's logical, isn't it? Your decision comes before your action. That's the easy, easy part. The second part is this. Your decision and your action must come before God's intervention. It's in the verse. Decide in your heart what you would give. And then in verse 8, and then God will generously provide all you need. So it's process. Decide in your heart what you're going to give. Don't give more than you can afford. He says here, there's a trick. I gave you that last week. But then he says, I will come and supply what you need, but only after you've decided and acted. What's God looking for? Obedient faithfulness. Your action comes before God's intervention. So, so it's giving us something about how to behave. The question is, how do we do this? Look at this verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. God will generously provide all you need. Well, there's His promise for you. He's asked you to be obedient, but He's giving you a promise. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This sounds like good news. God's saying, be generous, be cheerful, give in your heart what you decided to give, and God will provide it for you and have everything you need to be generous. This doesn't sound like a bad deal. But you kind of know the way God is and His truth that He's asking you to go into a place where you need Him. There's a really powerful story in the book of Genesis. Starts at uh, Genesis 12, goes through to Genesis 15. And then by the time you get to Genesis 22, you find Abraham and Sarah um, who have had their son Isaac. God promised them a son that would be their, um, their future lineage and Isaac turns up. And that's awesome. Like Abram's like a hundred or something. And it's awesome. Yay, God, you're amazing. I've got my son. And then in Genesis 22, God says, take your son Isaac to the mountain and offer him there to me as a sacrifice of worship. Oh, stink. So what does Abraham do? It says in the Scriptures, immediately Abraham takes his son Isaac, the flint for the fire and the wood, and he goes to Mount Moriah. And he lays his son down, the promised son, the one that God gave him as a gift. He lays him down, ties him up, and he raises the blade to kill him. It's not a very good story, really. It's an amazing story. Because this is where God changes how we see Him. 
as soon as he raises the blade to bring down the, the sacrifice of offering and worship, the angel of the Lord says, stop, for I see that you will hold nothing from me. Do not kill your son. And Abraham looks up, the scripture says, and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. And he says, you shall be known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides. This is how we get to see God because we know him as a God who comes to meet our need in a place of our sacrifice. And Abraham teaches us this. And and so we've got to learn what the name Jehovah Jireh means. I haven't got time to to go deep down into this rabbit hole, but, but the idea is that you would get to know God as his name truly is. If you've ever been physically, miraculously healed by God, you know him as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me. Well, if you've ever been in a situation where God's miraculously provided for you, and we've had testimonies of it in this series, then you'll personally know God as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for me. I've got lots of stories in my life of knowing God as Jehovah Jireh because He's been the God who miraculously turns up and provides everything I need in order to allow me to do what He's asked me to do. So my definition of Jehovah Jireh is this. The Lord God who provides all sufficiency for what he asks me to do. God is so good that he asks you to do something that then he turns up to help you to do it. What's my point? My prayer is that you would know God's provision comes after your sacrifice. And Abraham shows us this. Okay, I hope you're keeping up with me. I know there's a lot here, but I'm, I'm doing this to build a platform for what we're going to walk into as a family. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, Paul quotes Psalm 112. He says this, As the Scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So he's quoting Psalm 112. Why is he doing that? Well, he's pointing us to some people that we need to take lesson from. So this is the promise. These people will share freely and give generously and their good deeds will be remembered forever. Why does God want us to know that? Well, what we need to know is who's he talking about? Who is the subject of Psalm 112? You're taking notes, write down that you want to go and have a look at Psalm 112 verse 1. Because the psalmist opens up the psalm and says, those who fear the Lord and obey his commands, and then it's full of good promise, finishing with this verse. What's my point? Those who are obedient are those who fear the Lord. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Honor, reverence, submission, worship, willing sacrifice. If you see God as He truly is, it's called the fear of the Lord. If you see God for who He is and what He wants you to walk in, the goodness and the promise in your life, then you have what we call the fear of the Lord. That's not being afraid. That's holding Him in holy awe and reverence as he truly deserves. And the good news is that this passage of Scripture is a promise for those of us who would see God as he truly is. If you can get a revelation of how good God is and calling you into a place of living in partnership with him, then you will experience the smile of God. So we've wandered through 2 Corinthians 9 and now we're at verse 10. And this is my key Scripture for today. 
on the screen, you'll see it says, For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Isn't that good? So what I want to do is I want to come back to this, but before I do, I want to just finish our little jog through 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with verse 11 from the NASB. It says, You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. This, my friends, this is why we do what we do. We don't do this just because we can build a building. We don't do this so that we can have a global ministry. We don't do this so that we can have more comfortable chairs. We don't do this so we can buy coffee beans. We do this because we want to produce thanksgiving to God. It's in the passage that Jamie read at the beginning of, the, um, the bit of our time together. It's not about boosting your popularity. It's not about getting your brownie points. It's not even about making you feel good. I mean, that's a byproduct. But God says when people see this ministry, they will give thanks for your good works and they will glorify God in heaven. This is why we do this. Your whole life, the reason you were created, the reason you were restored to relationship, the reason you were empowered with God's grace is to give God glory, not you. That's the life we live. This is why this is so exciting. It's why I get passionate when I teach these kinds of principles is because God is calling us into a place where our lives would glorify Him. That's what we're going to do for eternity. We might as well practice it now. You're not convinced? You are convinced? Okay. All right. So that first jog through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that was the introduction. That was the introduction to the message to build a foundation for you so that you can see what God's got for you with the how you're going to do this, all right? So there's some key principles in there. I'll make sure these slides are attached to the podcast. So if you listen to this again or you watch it, you'll be able to see the slides. You'll be able to catch the scriptures. You'll be able to pause and be able to look in the book and go, oh, that's right, that's what it says. All right, this is how you chew on and meditate on God's word so that it becomes part of you. You're not gonna get it in one session where I jog through quickly. All I'm doing is giving you something to, to work on. So that's the introduction. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, which is the main verse for today. This is the powerful source that gives us the keys. We're going to dig into this. So we're going to find the key God's got for us for financial freedom and being able to see Him blessed as we give generously. There's a kingdom of God principle that I want you to see in Scripture that is going to change the way that you live your life in many areas. You want to know how the Macedonians did it? The answer is right here in this verse. So now what we've got to do is we've got to dig into the verse and get some of the key things out of it. So let's have a look at the verse on the screen. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, He'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Who's the hero of this verse? Not a trick question. Who's the hero of this verse? Everyone not sure? Who do you think the hero of this verse is? Okay, yes, that is true. So if we circle that, God is the initiator. He's the one that initiates the good things that we're about to see. God is the hero. He's the source of life. He's the, he's, he's the hero of the story, so you need to remember that. We must not take credit for what we're about to see. 
And then what's the outcome? What's the goal that you think God's got as the initiator in this verse? What do you reckon? Who says what? Got a couple of answers over here. What do you guys say over there? You're a bit slow over that side. A great harvest of generosity. So this is God's desired outcome in the work that he's doing in your life and in the life of the church. This is why I'm getting excited. As the, as the pastor of the church, I'm like, come on, if we have this across the whole church community, imagine what we could do in Te Aumuru and across the world. I'm, I'm super excited about this because the great harvest of generosity in you, if you look at other translations like the NASB, the Amplified or the New King James, it actually says it will increase your personal righteousness, which is your right standing with God and doing what He's called you to do. So there's the desired outcome. Now, who's going to do all the hard work in this verse? Who's going to do hard work? No. God is not going to do hard work because God doesn't do hard work. Who's going to do the hard work? The farmer. Who is the farmer in this verse? Not me, you. No, me as well. We all are. In this verse, we are the one Paul is pointing to in the verse. We are the worker. We are the one that must do something. What is a farmer doing in this verse? He's having eggs and bacon and sausages for breakfast about eight o'clock after they've been out on the farm. Then going to do something else, fix some fences. What is he doing? He's planting seed. So what is the tool that Paul is pointing to here is what? Seed. Everyone say seed. Seed. Here's the key. Seed is what I need. Say that again. Seed is what I need. This is the key out of this verse for you. It's not a revelation that you're a farmer called to do work for God but it might be a revelation that God says you're going to plant the seed is what I, okay. So let's have a look because the seed is the key for us. The seed shows us a kingdom of God principle that will change our lives forever. The seed is what we need to see the transformation in. And God's going to show us something today. Seed is a biblical metaphor. It's used countless times through Scripture. The seed shows us God's kingdom principle of multiplication. The key word here is multiplication. The seed is used all through the Bible. It's an agricultural thing. If you've never studied it, seed is a little husk. We won't go into it. That must die in order to bring new life. It's the short version of the science. But if you look at the Scripture, seed is used a whole lot of different ways. But it's always through with multiplication. So in the beginning, we'll have a look in a minute. God said the seed will produce trees, plants, food. But then he starts talking about seed when he, even as early as Genesis 3, when he talks about Eve having enmity with the serpent. And he starts talking about seed referring to offspring. So in the Bible, God says seed is about you multiplying yourself, reproducing yourself, that your generations to follow would show God's principle of multiplication. And then we also see Jesus teaching on seed. Mark chapter four is one of the versions. There's, there's several versions of the, the principle and the parable of the soil. 
There's the principle in the parable of the seed and the harvest. And in it, Jesus says, oh, look, you didn't understand it, so I'll explain it to you. The seed is actually the Word of God, right? So we've got the seed being used to um, show us how nature reproduces. We've got seed to show us how we can be multiplied. And we've got the Word of God. So in every case, we see this kingdom principle of multiplication. And today, we're talking about the seed in context of our finances, because that's specifically what Paul is referring to in the passage of Scripture in the verse we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. So that's what we're looking at. So let's have a look. Are you ready? Did you know seed was in the Bible? Okay, what is the seed going to show us? The first thing that seed's going to show us in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22 is that there's a principle for us, and that is this, cause and effect. God's creation will never change, and when it never changes, one of those things is cause and effect. So uh, you've heard the story of the flood? It rained for how many days? 40, and then they were on the boat for a long time. And then after that, God makes a promise. He puts a rainbow in the sky, covenant with mankind. But he says this, watch this in Genesis 8 verse 22. As long as the earth remains, does the earth still remain? Okay, so this promise still applies. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. God said, my creation is established and it will not change. And one of those principles is called seed time and harvest time. So God has made a promise that the principle of multiplication through seed will not change as long as the earth remains. Okay, so there's the promise for us, cause and effect. So God gives us the, what does he give in our hand? God gives the seed to the sower. So we are the one who initiates. We're the one who sows the seed, and then God brings the harvest. This is important for us. We're going to build this up. What's the next thing we know about seed? A seed reproduces after its own kind. So apple seeds produce apple trees, but yes, eventually apples. Mandarin seeds produce mandarin trees, which produce mandarins. Right, so an apple tree doesn't produce a mandarin. Okay? We've got, this is the thing. We've got to understand. These, let's look in Genesis 1 verse 11 because we'll see it right here in the creation story. God said that the land sprout, vegetation, every seed-bearing plant, trees that will grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees that they came from. So what we sow, we reap in kind. But we've got to understand how God works. There's a key coming for you that you must not miss. If you're getting sleepy, ask the person next to you to slap you because I do not want you to miss what's about to come. All right? This is, this is like earth shattering. Okay? Be careful how hard you slap them. Watch this. Key question that has confounded year six students and some parents for a long time is the ultimate question of which comes first? The chicken or the egg? I mean, how can you have a chicken if it's not born out of an egg? And how can you have an egg that would crack if it hasn't come out of a... This is confusing. 
I never got it. But the good news is I can confirm to you after uh, researching this week for you so that you can have the facts in front of you is that science has answered the question. Because what science has discovered that in the structure and the fabric in the makeup of a shell is a specific protein that can only be found in the ovary of a chicken. Well, good news is it wasn't the ovary of a cow. It was the ovary of a chicken. But the scientists therefore would say to us, well, this proves beyond any reasonable doubt that the egg has come from the chicken. And then you ask the scientists, well, where did the chicken come from? And they change the subject. We would say God made the chicken. But if you look in verse 11 of Genesis, it's actually always been in Scripture. It's always been here. Look, God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow and produce fruit. Look at this. They will, the tree comes first and then the seed. Have a look in, in, in verse uh, 24. God said, Genesis 1, verse 24. Let the earth produce every sort of animal. So what did God do? He pulled the dirt together, breathed on it, and created the animals. And out of the animals comes the seed for reproduction. This is really important for us. We need to understand how this applies to our life. There's something I want to show you. Watch this. God initiates everything and then empowers us to reproduce. This is a key principle for us in all areas of life. God initiates everything. God caused the trees to come up out of the earth and then the seeds would allow them to reproduce. God formed the chicken out of the dust, breathed on it and then said, chicken, have chickens. God, what did He do for, for mankind? Same thing. He caused the dust to come together and He shaped it in a way after His own likeness. He breathed on it and said, let you be mankind. It's a key principle for you in your life. You've got to understand that God initiates everything and then asks you to take the responsibility for reproducing it, for multiplying it, for being fruitful. If you look at Genesis 1 verse 28, it's the, what we call the dominion mandate. It's a phrase that some use. But, but God says this, God blessed mankind and said, be fruitful and multiply. So God initiated life and then empowers us to reproduce it. Everything God does, He empowers us to then be fruitful. Same with children. God says, come together, be fruitful and multiply, which we reproduce life and love through our children, through progeny. You think about your faith. Your faith is reproduced as you confess and give testimony to what God's done in your life. God empowers you by initiating it, but then He empowers you to reproduce it. Same with your money. It's the same with your finances. God initiates what you have, but then He empowers you to multiply. And the key for multiplication is found in the seed. Okay, not sure? Let's see what Jesus said. Because Jesus taught on money 
quite a lot. Jesus taught on the responsibility we have very directly. You cannot read the teaching of Jesus and get away scot-free from having no responsibility. As I said to you last week, you won't answer for what you did, you'll answer for what you were supposed to do, what God asked you to do. In Mark chapter four, we see the parable of the soils. And uh, like I said, it's in several different places. You can read the full story yourself later. But the parable of the soils, um, he explains and said, look, you know, some fell here and some fell there and and then they got stolen. And he says in verse eight, other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as what had been planted. What is he saying to us here in the story? I'm not getting into the whole thing. He's saying where you plant your seed is vital for the harvest. Do not put your seed into rocky soil. Do not put your seed into barren soil. Do not scatter it carelessly, but be intentional about where you sow that seed. One of the key things that we believe is the local church is blessed by God as a place to sow your finances. It's good, fertile soil. You're you're in God's plan when you do that. That's the beginning. But more important than that is that you're answerable for sowing the seed. You're not answerable for the harvest. You don't give with strings attached. You don't give with demands. You're only responsible for sowing the seed. There's a parable I won't get into now, but if you want to read it, it's called the parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4. But here's the point. Jesus is showing us something for the local church. It's also found in Mark 4, verse 8. The point of sowing seed is to bear fruit. The whole thing Jesus is saying is that when you sow your seed, you should not be disconnected, but you're not, you should not be um, uh, sort of um, misaligned. You should look for fertile soil to sow into, but you should do so expecting a harvest. You should expect 30 times. You should expect 60 times or as much as 100 times on the seed you've sown. This is how God multiplies to bring a harvest. So here's the thing. Sometimes I think we, we limit God by having low expectations or low faith. We pitch up low because we don't want to be disappointed or we don't want to be putting ourselves in a place where we judge God because he didn't do what we hoped. And yet God's saying, well, well, you could expect a 30 times increase on your seed. Or you could expect a 60 times increase on your seed. Or you could expect 100 times. This is also demonstrated in the parable of the talents. I haven't got time to do it. Maybe one day I'll teach on the talents. But the talents is a fantastic parable that show us God has expectation that he will come and inspect us on what he expected us to do with what he blessed us with. What are we doing with the seed that God has put in our hands? Today, we're looking at the secret of the seed. The seed is what I need. The seed is what I need. Who gives you the seed? God gives us the seed. It says in the scripture, God is the one who gives the seed to the farmer for the purpose of sowing. So what is the whole point that I'm trying to land this on? This one here. God gives us seed for the purpose of sowing. 
What is seed going to do if it sits in your barn in bags? Rot. Nothing. Won't, won't do much. So God is saying, he's put the seed in your hand. You must not keep it in your hand. Um, I love what um, Bill Johnson says about 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. He says, God is the one who gives seed for sowing and bread to eat. Bill Johnson says, well, you better not eat your seed. And you shouldn't plant your bread. You've got to know the difference between the two. So when I learned that, I decided I'd do something about it. So when God blesses me with some money, my very first thing I do is say thank you. Good, good discipline. Thank you, God, for you're the one who gives the seed to the sower. But I need to know something, God. Is this what you've given me? Is it seed or is it bread? Because if it's seed, I know what to do with it. And if it's bread, I know what to do with it. But if I don't know what it is, how do I know what my right action is? So I say, thank you, God, for giving me this seed. Is this seed bread or is it seed? And if God says, son, this is seed, then I plant it. I ask him where to sow it and I do what he said, expecting to see it produce a harvest based on his supernatural effort. But if God said, no, no, this is bread, then I get to bless my family with that and in whatever way that I can. So the key thing is, if God gives you seed, it's for the purpose of sowing. Second thing I need to say regarding the seed is that seed produces fruit. Yes, that's true. But the good news that you need to hear today is that seed produces more seed. If you plant an apple seed, you get a what? Apple tree. What grows on an apple tree? Apples. What's inside apples? Lots of seeds. If you have mandarins at the moment, full of seeds. Why? Because the seed produces more seed. This is what you need to catch today as God's asking you to sow seed. He's saying to you today, don't worry if you haven't got the seed I'm asking you to sow. If you sow a little seed, your harvest will produce more seed. And that's the answer for us as a church. We don't have the money in the bank to go and build the building in Indonesia tomorrow. But what we're doing is we're sowing a seed. We're putting something out there in fertile soil for God to use. And then we're saying, God, you're the, you're the God who does the miracles. You're the God of the abundance. You're the God of the harvest. And He will multiply that seed to put it back in our hands. And then we go, well, what do we do with this? He says, well, it's seed you asked for, now use it. So we've got to understand if we don't sow seed, we won't get seed. I told you before, Kathy and I learned this principle years ago. We were asked by God to give an amount of money that freaked us out. And we knew we couldn't do it. And we knew God knew that because he's not, he's not shocked. He knows what our bank balances are and what we own and what we don't own. So he's not tricking us by asking us to give a big amount. He's inviting us into something greater than we've experienced before. And all we had to do was say yes and sow what we had. And we saw God multiply that seed again. And I said, God, what is this? He says, this is your bag of seed. You can now go do what I asked you to do. It wasn't in my strength. It was in my sacrifice and my willingness to allow God to multiply that seed. If I get the band to come back, we're going to wrap this up. This is my last slide. You thought it would never finish? This is the last slide. I'm not going to finish talking, but... If you need more seed, your answer is in the sowing. This is not about me 
putting pressure on you to bleed your bank accounts dry just so we can go and build something overseas while our building at home leaks. This is about me showing you a kingdom of God principle that could change your family's future. If you teach your kids this and you show them and partner with them in prayer that God is in the business of multiplying seed, then you will grow faith in your children and their children beyond what you've experienced up until this point. If you need seed, your answer is in the sowing. If I get the host team to um, get ready to hand out those cards. We've been working each week on handing out cards and getting responses. So if you haven't yet done a card and you want to fill in a response, this is your action before God's intervention. Some people have already filled in their cards. They've already made a submission. What are we looking for? We're looking for people to acknowledge that they're willing to be regular givers. Craig did a message and we, we, we learned that only 50% of our church family are regular givers. We want to change that. We want to invite you into being part of a family where generosity is our normal. We're also asking you to consider giving some seed into our missions program. And many people have already made gifts or made pledges around making a response to the missions program. And I'd say, thanks for that. That's awesome. This week, the elders will be meeting. We'll be reviewing the data. We're not looking at names and numbers. We're looking at data that's given to us by the exec in order that we can assess where the church is at in responding to this series. I'm hoping that we've received the Word of God, that we've been challenged to step into a place where we partner with God, understanding that He put seed in our hand for a reason. He put seed in our hand that we would sow it into His kingdom and watch Him multiply it. I'm trusting that you will Put yourself in a place where you will see, you'll be witness to, you'll bear witness to the miraculous intervention of God as He multiplies your seed in front of you so that you can be more fruitful than you ever imagined possible. Some of you are going to be, by the end of the year, giving an amount of money to missions that you've never dreamed of. And that's relative to your circumstance. But what is God doing? He's growing your faith. I've got friends who started off giving $10 that are now giving tens of thousands. Why? Because they've proven to God that they can be trusted with more. And the more seed He gives them, the more they give away. Just this week in building my faith for this morning, I was reading stories and testimonies from churches in, um, in the US where I have some connections and various teachers of the Word of God. And I'm reading um, some of their books and some of their stories. And, and he's saying, well, you know, we stepped into this place of obedience and we didn't, we didn't know, but God asked us to do this and we didn't know what was happening. But the next week, a man turned up with a check for $120,000. And I want stories like that. Not for the number, but for the faithfulness in the church. And we could change our town with what God could do through us. If only we would be obedient. I want to finish this morning with a scripture that I would, I'm saying is my prayer over you. The one that Jamie read this morning, I asked him to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 11. This is my prayer for you. And then I've asked the band to just sing over us. God, you're so good. Is that what I said? Yeah. <laughs> Let me read this prayer to you. Paul writes, so as, as a response to God producing a great harvest of generosity in you, 
Paul says, you'll be enriched in every way. Receive this as a, receive this as a blessing this morning. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of believers will be met and then they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, Zion people, others will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. And then they'll pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Amen.